Hi, listener. Welcome to the More Than Me podcast with your host, Becky Harrington, sharing stories of women who decided to move outside of themselves and claim a higher purpose because together we are more. In each episode, we'll dig deep into stories of women who shed their fear and shame so that they could claim their higher purpose. Each week, you'll leave inspired, free from the shoulds that have been bringing you down and prepared to walk ahead towards your bright purpose. Experience a community that has forged a path before you and discover that you're not alone. Well, hello, listener. This is the More Than Me podcast, and I am your host, Becky Harrington, and I want you to join me each week as we discover the triumphant stories of women who decided to have more in their lives and accept their purpose. This is a podcast for women who have a deep longing in their hearts, crave community, and are ready to step out in their faith. Um, this week, I have a very special treat for you because we have our first man on the show. <laughs> Rick Lawrence um, is a very special guest, and I'm super excited to um, invite him into this community and introduce you all to him. He's an author, he's a speaker, he's the senior editor of adult and youth resources and slash any other miscellaneous projects that group publishing would like him to work on. Um, he's a really good friend of mine. He's my podcast partner in crime. Um, we co-host another podcast called Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus. And we have been doing that for like four years together now. Um, so this is Rick Lawrence. He, like I said, he works for group publishing. We worked together at group publishing when I, and I first met, um, Rick, um, not right away because it's a very big company. So you don't always, if you're not in the same department as someone, you don't just bump right into them all the time. But I got assigned to market his, um, groundbreaking book, Jesus Centered Life. And that resulted in us podcasting together and he might have been a little nervous when this like lifeblood book that he had worked on for for a long time and put his heart and soul to at the very last minute was assigned to some girl he did not know. So uh, Rick, why don't you go ahead and say hello to our More Than Me listeners? Well, hello, More Than Me listeners. Uh, this is Rick. And uh, because I'm the first man on your podcast i i'm thinking inside i need to be my manliest today <laughs> so i i'm going to be as manly as manly can be today so it but it's really an honor to be on this podcast and be on this with you becky now on in my world i call becky the becky nader because becky early on i uh, she she just said that oh i must have been nervous having this young girl suddenly assigned to my life's work and you, you might say that uh, maybe for the first 60 seconds, and then I got to know her, <laughs> and then I could see what she was capable of, and uh, it's one of the best things that's ever happened to me, actually, that Becky got rammed into my world, so I soon started calling her the Becky-nator because um, when you innate something, that means you get things done, and boy, does she, so so she's been a tremendous blessing in my life, and um, and I've gotten to know about more than me through her through the portal of Becky's life, and um, I couldn't be more of a cheerleader for what the the more than me movement is trying to do, to try to uh, really do what is at the core of the heart of Jesus, which is to set captives free, 
and we're captive. Most of our captivity is, is self-captivity. We've put ourselves in our own prisons, in our own cells. And uh, so it's remarkable the way Jesus goes about setting us free is he first um, uh, invites us to participate in walking out of our own cell. So I love the, the goals and the emphasis and the, and the direction that More Than Me is going to try to uh, inspire women to walk out of their own cell, whatever that might be, and into a greater place of freedom. So, so uh, Becky, you mentioned that I've been in uh, publishing for a long time. It, this fall, I'll be uh, uh, in my position for 32 years here at group. So along the way, I've developed resources for youth pastors and church leaders, and I, I develop and create and lead uh, events, face-to-face -face events, and I get to do all kinds of incredible projects, including uh, I was the uh, general editor for the Jesus Centered Bible, which was released about four years ago, and it's coming up on, it's actually just passed, I don't know if you know this, Becky, it's now sold 132,000 copies wow. of that Bible. So, And we're not a Bible publisher, so it really just speaks to the hunger people have for Jesus, because this is a Bible that no matter where you read in it, because of the features we put in the Bible, it points you to Jesus. So, and the last couple of books that I've written are last year, uh, the book Spiritual Grit was released, and we're going to talk a little bit about that today. And then you've already mentioned the other one that came before that, which was The Jesus-Centered Life, which was sort of a foundational book. It kind of looks back on my whole posture toward living an everyday life that is centered around Jesus. So, there's a little bit about me. I have a wife and two girls, one's in college, one's in high school. Uh, and I live in, a, in an environment fully immersed in the female kingdom. And not only my wife and my girls, but every single animal we've ever owned, including our current Bajan Frise and our cat from the Dumb Friends League are all girls. So uh, I, I love being around girls. Sometimes people ask me, uh, even my wife has asked me, uh, do you ever wish that you'd had a son? And that just the thought never occurs to me. I just so love growing up in a household of girls. Maybe I like drama because it's, maybe it's a stereotype, but it's definitely true. A house full of girls has more drama and I actually like that. So anyway. I think that part of that, and we're going to talk about this a little bit in the interview is that Rick is an all in person. And I think the raising of women actually requires a lot of being all in. Um. <laughs> that is an incredible insight <laughs> that I've never thought of before, but it definitely, it means that you're either going to be emotionally engaging or you're out. Yep. So, yeah. So before we get into the meat of this, I wanted to bring up um, a little bit. So Rick, uh, we are on these like Zoom calls and I've been traveling around the country and meeting with women and we've been talking about like, what's the dream on your heart? And so often we hear, I've got a book on my heart. I have something that I think is worth publishing. I have words and thoughts that I'd like to get out. And so um, Rick is actually going to be on the member Zoom call in July. So next, uh, this month, which is next week. So if you're listening to this right now and you're not a member yet, you can join now between now and next Thursday and be on a Zoom call with Natasha. She is a life coach and she is a fireball. She's going to be leading our more than me call um, next Thursday. If you join after that, uh, we are going to have in June, Dr. Courtney Baker, who we've been talking about a lot, who's been doing studies on why women aren't showing up in leadership positions around the country. Um, 
And then in July, we're going to have Rick Lawrence, who you're listening to today, and he's going to be talking about what does it look like to take the words that are in your head or your heart and put them out on paper, whether that's writing a blog or if it's writing a book someday. Um, Rick has actually written a lot of books. If you go into Amazon, just search Rick Lawrence. Um, he mentioned a couple here today, but every book he's ever written um, has been so insightful and important. He was the senior editor of the Jesus Center Bible. He's also written a book that's called Shrewd, which I think every woman should learn as what shrewdness looks like. Um, Skin in the Game, which I talk about. I use that that um, phrase all the time on More Than Me. Like, I'm in this for you, for you. You're in this for me. We have skin in the game together. That came from Rick Lawrence. I quote him more than you actually know. So <laughs> check him out on Amazon. Um, so uh, again, if you want to be a member, if you want to be all in with our member program, go to morethanme.com, uh, click on the member section, and you can join. Okay, so Rick, we're going to get into talking. And... Um, so I worked with Rick starting when he published Jesus Centered Life. I got handed this manuscript. Um, it wasn't a printed book yet. So when in publishing before a book is done, we have manuscripts that get passed around to all different kinds of people. And I had been working on a completely different set of projects and they were like, hey, by the way, you're going to be the head marketer for this book and it releases in three months. Um, go. That's what they did to me all the time. So I took this manuscript home to read it and Usually when I pick up a manuscript when I'm publishing a book, um, and this is just publishing 101 FYI, <laughs> your marketer might read the sample chapter. She might read two chapters. It's highly unlikely that she's going to read, or he, much more th than that. Um, we have a lot of books on our plate and we don't have time to, uh, to look at all of your, all of your stuff. But I took Rick's book home and I read it in about eight hours straight. Um, and it resulted in a lot of long walks with Jesus and an entirely different mindset and perspective on how I viewed him. Like when I say things like, um, I think that Jesus is funny and he tells jokes. I didn't think that before. I didn't think a lot of the ways that I think about Jesus until I read this book. So it really, it wasn't just an important project that I got to work on and it, and it didn't just result in a great friendship and a podcast. It upended my life. And so as I was exiting group, Rick was releasing another book and I worked on it up until three months before it was released. <laughs> and then Poetic. I had to leave. <laughs> publishing um, for a variety of reasons. So that book was called Spiritual Grit. And that is what I want to talk about today. Because when we talk about accepting the power that Jesus has put in us and accepting the gifts and the talents that he puts in our life, it takes a lot of grit. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the heart behind Spiritual Grit? Sure. It would be, I, th I think the best way, I, the way I love to start talking about this is really the, the tiny little story that sparks the beginning of this. And, and in July, when I'm uh, talking to your, your crew about um, writing for blogs or even writing a book, um, I will probably say something like this, that a lot of books start from a tiny little seed, like a mustard seed, maybe that's a tiny seed. Hmm, where have we heard that before? So sometimes the tiniest things grow into the biggest things. Uh, and in that parable that Jesus told, that that mustard seed grows up into a tree that birds can actually nest in, creates a home for other things. And so this little story is like that for me. I, I um, when my daughter Emma was in middle school, 
which was uh, two or three years ago, uh, she, we have a bus stop on, on the corner of our cul-de-sac. So every morning I would uh, hook up our little Bajan Frise to the leash and walk with my daughter to the bus stop. I always walked about four paces behind her because it's totally embarrassing to have your dad walk anywhere near you when you're walking to the bus stop. But every morning I'd do this. It was just my subtle way of saying, I'm with you, Emma. I love you. Um, uh, I, I want to, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm in your life. I haven't forgotten about you. Um, so we would walk to the bus stop every day. And, uh, during the colder months one year, um, I noticed when you're we walking to the bus stop that there were always three or four very large, uh, sort of, uh, land aircraft carriers that you might call an SUV parked and idling on the side of the street leading up to the bus stop. And I first I couldn't figure out where these SUVs were coming from, and then I started to do what my daughter finds totally embarrassing. I would look into the windows as I passed by to see what's going on here, and it was always, uh, you know, uh, a mom who was not yet dressed for the day. I would say, kind of in a sweatshirt and a ball cap, a mom sitting there idling and. Uh, out of the back of those SUVs, when the bus was pulling up, when you heard the air brakes of the bus um, make that loud noise that they do, out of the back of these SUVs, their sons, th three or four sons, sitting in the back alone in these SUVs would hop out of the back of the car and race up to the line and get on the bus. And I realized, oh, these moms are, um, they, they are trying to help out their sons by making sure that they're warm right up until the point when the bus comes. And one day I just couldn't stand it anymore. And I said out loud to my daughters, we're walking, this drives me crazy. And my daughter looks at me and like, again, with a look I see often, which is dad, you're so weird. Um, she said, what is wrong? And I said, well, these moms don't realize this, but they are actually stealing something from their sons that their sons are gonna need. And again, my daughter's like, what are you talking about? And I said, um, these boys, are being saved from about seven minutes in the frigid weather so that they can uh, make sure that so that they're sure to not ever feel cold and they're not going to die from this cold obviously seven minutes in the cold is not going to, to hurt them in any way and their moms don't realize that that tiny little hardship is actually a good thing for them that and i'm and i told my daughter um you know 20 years from now these boys are going to be most likely married and maybe with a, a young family and they're going to need every ounce of strength they can get um, to stay married and be a good dad and right now their strength is being sapped from them because they're not being allowed to face even a minor hardship like this without the the comfort of their suv and so again my my daughter's response was well i wish one of them would invite me into their suv because i'm cold <laughs> so the whole book started out with this, this, this fascination with um, how in our culture today, we systematically steal away hardship from our kids' lives when hardship is actually what they need in order to develop the grit and perseverance they need in life. And so there's obviously a, a New York Times bestseller called Grit, written by Angela Duckworth, that is all about the profound impact that grit has in our lives. This, this power of perseverance in our lives. How does it come about? How do people develop it? But I thought that there was a couple of things in her work that were missing. One was, what's the source of that grit? What's the source of that strength when you don't have enough of it? Um, so 
she, she acknowledged that everyone who has grit has a passion for something higher than themselves, but she didn't really explore, well, where does that passion come from? How do you develop a passion for something higher than yourself? And I realized there is no passion that's possible for human beings than having a passion for God. So I wanted to explore that. And then the second thing was Angela Duckworth, um, even though she recognized how important grit is as a strength in our life, she basically admitted that she and her fellow researchers didn't have a real idea of how to develop it in people. And the reason for that is simple. To develop grit, you have to introduce hardship into people's lives or allow them to experience hardship. And we don't like that. It's very dangerous ground to tread on when you start saying, here's how to develop it. The only people we really let do that are fitness trainers in the military. <laughs> so, so, uh, so I realized this other area was also unexplored. So that was the sort of the, the, the seed that was planted in me. And that's what started my exploration. So I love that analogy. And I think as many of our listeners are parents, and so you could totally probably identify with, you know, this kind of subtle, um, this subtle shift in parenting. But I was thinking, isn't that what we expect of Jesus? Like, don't we expect him to put us in his really nice warm SUV and drive us right up to the doorstep of the life that we always wanted. Um, that he would keep, keep the car running and pull us right up to the front step and say, okay, I brought you here. I am your Jesus. I am your savior. And here is everything you ever wanted. It's all laid out. Just get on the bus. There you go. Um, but he doesn't do that at all, right? So, um, yeah, so and he and Becky, he doesn't do that for a very specific reason because he is love, mm -hmm. and he loves us fully, passionately, all in. He can't do that because he knows that this is this is going to destroy us down the line. Um, I, there's a, a story I put early on in the book. It's called the Lesson of the Butterfly. It's a it's kind of a fable. Um, and I, I tell one particular version of this fable, but the fable is basically a man comes across a butterfly that's straining to get out of its cocoon and he becomes fascinated by it and he realizes this butterfly is not gonna make it. It's, it's not able to wrestle its way out of this cocoon. I need to help it. So he gets a little pair of scissors and he cuts the cocoon a little bit to make it easier for the butterfly to get out. And the butterfly does emerge from the cocoon, but then its wings aren't strong enough to support it and it eventually dies right in front of the man because it's not strong enough to flap its wings and, and uh, survive. And the lesson of this fable is that in out of compassion and empathy, he tries to make life easier for that butterfly, but not recognizing that the struggle itself is what was needed to strengthen the wings so that the butterfly could thrive. So Jesus wants us to thrive in life. He does not want us to collapse under stress and anxiety. And one reason I believe we are in the midst of an epidemic of stress and anxiety in our culture and, and of depression is that our culture has systematically tried to remove all, all forms of hardship from us. Therefore, we've grown up not able to face with a sense of interior strength and grit the normal challenges we have in life. That's why college campuses have, ha have been inundated with too many college students who are in need of help for their anxiety and depression. Um, it, it's, it's become a rampant epidemic on college campuses. So the, the, the underpinnings of that is that we have un, uh, uh, unwittingly um, 
cut the cocoon of the butterfly in order to help help the butterfly not realizing how damaging it actually is. So one of the things that I've learned from Rick over the years is um, that we have a very shallow reserve or as Rick would say, a shallow bucket when it comes to uh, discipline, self-reliance, <laughs> anything that's going to help us get through a trial. We have this very shallow bucket and um, our self-help culture out there wants to tell you that if you want to succeed in life, what you really need to do is maximize the little bit of water in your bucket. You need to try really harder, try harder to get better. And that if you can't, then really what's wrong with you is you don't have enough in your bucket. And, and the problem is that we don't have enough in our bucket and we usually run out really quickly. And um, that part of the shift in percep perception is that the, the rest of what you need actually comes from Jesus. It comes from um, this attitude of reliance. And this is one of the main focuses of Jesus-centered life is that when we attach ourselves to Jesus and we rely on him and we say, okay, my bucket has four drops in it today, but I actually need about four cups in order to get through the challenges that I need to get through today. And here's what they are. Like my kid is sick. I have to, <laughs> I have a client presentation um, due today. I've got three appointments. I don't have enough, Jesus. What would it look like? And that actually that output of dependence is where we get more in our bucket. And it's the opposite of what our self-help culture is trying to tell us to do. Um, it also has a lot to do with grit. So tell us a little bit more about that. So uh, I'm so glad you brought that up. Uh, the, I, I tell people that uh, I've written um, uh, a couple dozen, two or three dozen books uh, over the course of 30 some years. And this book, Spiritual Grit, was by far the hardest path of any book I've ever written. I have 14 versions of this book on my computer right now. And if you're an author who's written more than a couple dozen books, you, your, your latest book shouldn't have 14 versions of it. It's something you know how to do. But one of the reasons why there's 14 versions is that I had insisted that the first part of the book be focused on, well, where do we get our strength from? Because our own sources of strength, as you said, Becky, are very limited. And the, the editorial staff that was shepherding this book wanted me to get faster to the tips on how to grow grit in your life through, uh, through spiritual practices. How do, you, how do you actually grow this strength, this spiritual grit in your life? They wanted me to get to those practicalities quicker. And I kept saying, but that doesn't matter if you don't understand where your bucket's going to get filled from. We first have to address that. And so the first part of the book is an exploration of what I call the rabbi inside, which is the, the spirit of Jesus living in us, who Jesus says will sustain us and supply us with what we need. But uh, in order to get that supply, we have to be attached to him. So what does it mean to attach ourselves more deeply to Jesus and, and find uh, sustainability and guidance from the spirit in us? What does that look like? How do we get our bucket filled? Um, instead of simply relying on whatever we've got in there on our own. So the book starts off that way. And in the end, the 14th version was a version uh, of 
of that first that then leads into now because I have my bucket more full of water, how can I express that in my life? How can I grow my strength and perseverance using the strength that I've now been given from Jesus? So that's a crucial part of this. The thing that separates what I'm saying from self-help is that uh, I, I have learned through experience in, uh, that um, even with the considerable willpower I have, my, my ability to persevere is quickly surpassed by my circumstances. And that can either lead to hopelessness or striving or posing or all kinds of ways we try to manage that situation. What if it instead showed us our utter dependence on Jesus? What if it surfaced that in us? And then how do we turn to him in our everyday life to have our bucket filled? So that's how the book starts. So the biggest part about grit really is that grit is kind of an output of um, dealing with pain, fear, and ultimately hopefully courage. But courage is not um, doing something because you weren't afraid. It's actually doing something because you were afraid. Um, and so how do you, like, you know, a lot of our listeners are, are, are talk about this. Like, I'm afraid that what if I go start this business and then I'm not good at it? Or what if I go take on this bigger client and I don't have the skills that I need to, um, to fulfill what they do? What if I disappoint somebody? Um, what if I'm embarrassed by what I do? What if it's not successful? All of these things can be fearful and I'm a business owner and I deal with this myself. <laughs> it's like every day I feel like I'm walking the line of being totally terrified about what I'm doing and absolutely excited. It's, it's a even balance of it. Um, and even just last year when I was going through um, having to transition out of a very traumatic season of my life, it was all in the rear mirror. And I dealt with a lot of scary things. Rick was walked through that with me. I, I dealt with some of the most terrifying things. But you know what I was actually most afraid of was going to my first More Than Me event. I was going to be going to Boise and I was I was locked in fear. I, I, was, I couldn't buy the ticket. I was putting it off. I was to the point of tears because I knew that taking that first step was actually walking into to the new. And I was actually terrified of that. And it's interesting how sometimes, I mean, Rick knows what, what the fire I walked through before, and yet that was actually the most scary thing for me. Yeah, and you know, the, uh, uh, what pops into my head, Becky, is that, uh, a couple of things. One is when we are in these situations like you just described and our fears get surfaced and it, it can even be paralyzing, it's really uh, diagnostic. Um, that fear is diagnosing um, what we have subtly invested our identity in. And not. I'm not saying this in a negative way. I'm just saying it's reality. When we go to the doctor and the doctor surfaces the reason why your knee hurts, it's not a negative thing for him to say, well, you, it looks like you strained the ligament in your knee when you were playing ultimate Frisbee the other day. That's not a negative thing. That's just saying diagnostically, here's the reason behind this. And our fear is a diagnostic portal into what we have invested our identity in. And that is an important surfacing because um, we as human beings, those who follow Jesus or not, um, have invested our identity in something. And when when we are uh, feeling like we're being asked to risk that identity, 
it's risking the, the only thing that we really have to have in life is a sense of our identity. If that goes away, we have nothing. So it's really a high bar that this fear is surfacing in us that what happens if my identity is exposed as the fragile thing that it is? What happens if it's, if it's toppled? So in that exposure, we have an opportunity to reattach ourselves away from a source of identity that is fragile and could go away at a moment's notice to a source of identity that is not fragile, that is permanent and lasting and will never go away. And, and that is our identity as children of God, as our identity as brothers and sisters of Jesus who've been invited into the royal family to live in the kingdom of God. That's our true identity. And we were made for a deep purpose to make impact in this world on behalf of the kingdom of God, on behalf of our adopted family, <laughs> which is the family of God. So the other thing that I think about um, when you're mentioning this is there's a story that um, uh, a, a woman who's a avid listener to the podcast that Becky and I host, it's just called Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus. We have a private Facebook uh, page for those who are real fans of that, of that podcast. It's called The Pigs Page, and I won't go into why we call it that, but um, the other day, a woman who's part of that pigs community posted a story um, that uh, came out of her reading Spiritual Grit. So it was really an, a remarkable story, but she, it's essentially because she read the book and was trying to lean into risk and lean into fear in her life, she was taking her daughters to a water park during spring break, and... Um, one, her youngest daughter had refused to, to go on the biggest slide at the water park and said, you guys can go, but I'm never going to go on that slide. So this time, uh, this woman whose name is Vanessa said, uh, this time I want you to go on the big slide. No, mom, I'm not going to go. I, that's too scary. No, I'm not asking you. I'm saying you're going to go on the slide. So she was literally forcing her daughter to go on the slide that she was really abjectly afraid of. And so the girl's standing in line and she's over and over again saying, I don't want to go on the slide. This is too scary. People, are, uh, the mom is saying, but I'm going to be with you. I, I'm going to walk with you all the way up to when you get into the slide. And the people around the girl were saying, you can do it. You can do it. It's not as scary as it seems. So what happened was that the, the, they get up to the top and the girl gets on the slide and she actually goes on the big slide for the first time. And she, because she was forced to face into her fear, she found this tremendous joy on the other side. She went back up the stairs again and again and again and went back on the big slide. So uh, Vanessa was making the point that this is how Jesus works in our life too. He literally... Uh, funnels us into our fears sometimes because he knows that there's freedom and joy on the other side of those. Um, we change the narrative of our life when we face into our fears with risk and we find a freedom and joy we, we couldn't have imagined because we had not yet experienced what life is like with that fear in our rearview mirror. So Jesus does do this because he loves us in our life. Um, and, some, and sometimes we're in circumstances where we just say, I just wish you'd invite me into an SUV somewhere, <laughs> but, but he won't do it um, very often because he knows there's freedom and joy on the other side of that. So one of the things I know about Rick is that he is, I think, probably one of the first all-in people I ever encountered. And um, all-in people are a little hard to handle. Uh, the more that you become, <laughs> the more that you become an all-in person, um, 
it, everything around you shifts. But for me personally, Rick was all in to everything he did, but he was also all in for me. Um, he was all in to see um, me accept and, um, and grab onto anything that I was being called to. And anytime I would shy away from something, he was always pushing me to it. Um, so being an all-in person is a very different way to live your life. It changes the way that you are in your relationships. It changes the way that you are in your relationship with Jesus it changes the kinds of risks that you start to take in your own personal life and your professional life. Um, but it also exposes a lot of things in us because being an all in person is not necessarily being a safe person. Yeah, that so, that's, that's so true. Tell us a little bit, Rick, about what you have to say about being all in. So uh, I was thinking about something you and I talked about on our podcast uh, a week or so ago. This uh, this little this little grenade that uh, Jesus rolls out at one point where he says, um, "Don't cast your pearls before swine." <laughs> and what does he mean by that? He means don't don't give your treasure away to people that can't recognize that as treasure. That's don't do that. But the converse is true as well. If you have treasure and you're in the middle of a convention of pearl experts, <laughs> then roll your pearls out there because the pearl experts understand the value. So I think in a way, living all in with other people means that you uh, have said, part of my uh, life trajectory is to become a pearl expert, to, to value the treasure that I see in Jesus, to value his heart for what it really is. Uh, I, I lead a small group uh, every Tuesday night in my home, and the motto of that small group is, is um, uh, uh, pursuing the heart of Jesus, not his recipes. And what I mean by that is Jesus said a lot of true things, but it's the heart behind those things that really transforms us. So we only pursue the heart of Jesus. Now, we don't fixate on his recipes so much. We, we follow those recipes back to the heart. And so the point with other people is to recognize the heart behind there, the treasure that each person has, and to be a, be a treasure expert, to be able to say, I see that treasure, and to go past our uh, sort of shallow interactions with each other, to, to, to push the accelerator down to say, I see that treasure, and I want to elevate that treasure. I want to spotlight it. I want others to see what a treasure that is. I want you to be free to enjoy your own treasure instead of constantly, as Jesus said, hiding it under a bushel. If you have a, a light, you don't hide it under a bushel. You take the bushel off and let people see it. So that's part of what our mission is in other people's lives is to go all in with them. Going all in simply means living out your calling as a member of the body of Christ that you're fully alive because that's what Jesus needs really in the end. He needs every part of his body fully alive so it can function as his presence in the world. So it simply means accepting that your life is meant to be lived fully alive. Um, and in that, in, and when you do, you bring life to others. So 
I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap us up. First of all, we will have links to all of Rick's books in the description of this episode. You can also go to ricklawrence.com to learn more about Rick and his work. Um, the the main things I want to take home for you is that when you go all in for anything, um, there's gonna be a lot of fear to go th you, that you're gonna have to go through. It's part of pushing through. The fear makes you stronger. It's doing it anyways that, that grows that grit in you. And so you might not feel like you're enough. And what Jesus is gonna say is you will always be enough with me. You will always be enough with me. Um, you might feel like if I go all in for this, I could be rejected. Uh, if I show up at a more than me event, or if I go to this small group, or if I decide to take on this business venture, or if I write a blog or a book, I might be rejected. And I would just say, Jesus is, wants to say, you will always be accepted by me always. And that is, that's the core of the identity um, issue is that it, when he is the one who you care about his ac acceptance you'll do anything, everything, nothing else really matters. Um, can I say last... one last, can I say one last thing back here real quick? Yeah. Just based on what you're saying there, the, 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 it's a lie that, uh, that we commonly accept that Jesus will never give us anything that is, that is too much for us. Well, that, that is betrayed by our life experience. We often have things that seem, feel too much for us. His promise is not that he will never give us anything that's too much for us. He will never give us anything that's too much for him and us together. Yes. That's the promise. Yes. And the last one I would say is that when you go all in and you're an all in person, you will have to show up. And that is scary. I, I know that multiple times in my life, it's like, I would rather just stay in the background because if I come in the foreground, then I'm going to have to show up. And I just want you to remember that he will always give you what you need. If you come and you ask for loaves of bread, he will give you those loaves of bread. He is there for you. And he wants to, he wants you to take that risk so that he can show you how he can show up in your life. Um, again, we are going to be planning our events for the fall. And you can go on the morethanme.com and sign up for our newsletter. You'll be notified when those dates and locations. This, this group is uh, best served in your life in person. So we want you to start planning to be at an event this fall. We say that every episode, but I want, I want to see you in person this fall somewhere um, at one of our events. Again, get on a membership um, and you can start joining us with on our, our monthly Zoom calls. Like I said, if you're interested in writing a book, we've got Rick Lawrence leading an hour discussion on how to put what's in your mind and your heart onto paper. And also uh, pick up a copy of Jesus Centered Life and Spiritual Grit. It is, they are, they are such great books, life-changing books, life-giving books. Um, again, thank you so much for joining us on the More Than Me podcast, sharing stories of women who decided to move outside of themselves and claim a higher purpose because together we are more. Next week, we're going to be joined again with Diana Henderson. We're going to be digging back into the Bible um, and looking at stories where Jesus encountered women. If you enjoyed today's show, please go leave us a review on iTunes or Google Play. Again, you can find out more about this movement in more detail on morethanme.com. This is episode 10 and we'll talk to you next time. Bye.